Hey guys, my name is Ian and welcome back to the AZ Sports Podcast. In this episode, I bring in one of my friends from ASU, a dude that I take classes with, he studies sports journalism, one of the smartest football minds that I know of, Keith Archer. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Urban Meyer and his situation. We're going to be talking about a number of teams and giving our takeaways uh, through the first five weeks. And we're also going to give our three biggest surprises uh, throughout these first five weeks of the NFL season. And without further ado, here is our conversation between me and Keith. Joining me for today's episode, we have, in my eyes, one of the smartest football minds that I know of, Keith Archer. You may introduce yourself. Uh, oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Ian. I love to hear that coming from you. That means a lot. I love talking football with you. You know, I'm a Cronkite student here, just as yourself. You know, we we talk football almost every day. You know, some people have gotten tired of it, but one person I find that never gets tired of it, that I, always, I can always have a great discussion whether it's about the Cardinals or the Giants or any other football team, we we always have great discussions when it comes to football. So it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, man, anytime. So you heard it in, in the intro. I'm, we're going to be talking about Urban Meyer. We're going to be talking about a number of teams, just naming takeaways through the first five weeks. And we're also going to be naming three surprises uh, throughout the league through the first five weeks. So I guess I'll start it off with, with Urban Meyer. Uh, we already know the situation that is going on, but in case people don't know, I'll, I'll just quickly run it down. After losing on Thursday night football to Cincinnati, Urban Meyer stayed behind in Ohio while letting his team fly out back home to Jacksonville. And a video surfaced of him at his own bar. This is a bar that he owns uh, with another shows him with another woman who is not his wife uh, dancing on him, which by that point, considering that he didn't even fly home with the team without notifying anybody and that video surfaces, not only is, has he just been a complete disaster, but this may very well be the worst head coaching hire in NFL history. He was already a suspicious character to begin with uh, before even getting hired by Jacksonville. I mean, he he had a staff member who, who was already dealing with his own scandal, and he decided to pretty much protect him or hide him and not notify anybody about this allegation, and it was kept to himself. He hired a strength and conditioning coach who was in his own scandal uh, when he was immediately hired by Jacksonville. That led to the conditioning coach to resign. So he's already dealt with scandals. He's lost players in the locker room through those scandals. He's already dealt with the situation where he nearly imploded the Florida locker room where he had given a lot of the better players, the star players, better treatment from the coaches and it was just simply unfair in that college atmosphere. So by that point, he's not a player's coach. He doesn't call the plays. He has two offensive play callers. He doesn't run the defense. He's not an X's and O's guy. And through five weeks, we haven't seen much player development through 
his scheme, which was what a lot of people, NFL fans, were excited about, which makes me wonder, what is it that he does well? What is it that he made himself so attractive to Jacksonville? And I was just wondering your thoughts on that whole situation with Urban Meyer and just your thoughts on, you know, if you would agree with me that he's the worst hire ever. Uh, I definitely can say that I agree with you on the worst hire ever. You know, there's been some pretty bad coaching hires, but Urban Meyer just tops it off, you know, man. Like, he does like, – like you said, player development was supposed to be one of the things that he brought to the table. But I think he has – you know, I agree with – Zach Wilson was a better prospect than, than Trevor Lawrence. But nonetheless, he's still <laughs> – at least he has Trevor Lawrence, who is widely looked at as the best quarterback in this class. And I think he's the thing that's holding him back. You know, Trevor Lawrence, just out of him being skilled, is still making plays. But I still think he was holding him back. I think when the draft day came and the Giants selected Kadarius Toney with the 20th pick and, you know, they had went on to take Travis Etienne, which in my opinion may have been one of the worst draft picks in that entire draft, not because Travis Etienne is a bad player, because I think he is what made that Clemson team with Tyron together. It was just that's not what Jacksonville needed. They could have taken many other things. And I think it was because he didn't do too much college scouting and he knew what Travis Etienne brought to the table with him being a former college coach. I think he panicked and took one of the only players that he knew. I don't think he knew about death. He knew Trevor Lawrence when him were teammates. So I think that played a part in it. Nonetheless, I think Urban Meyer has – been very questionable you know signing Tim Tebow that was boneheaded a lot of attention and I think that's what Jacksonville tried to do with this hire they tried to bring in a coach who they knew they'd get a bit of attention from and you know because Jacksonville doesn't it rarely gets media attention you know even Colin Cowherd put out a tweet prior to week one he was he never was excited to watch Jacksonville games he never watched them but he wanted he was actually excited for once to watch this Jacksonville team. And I think that's what Jacksonville won. I don't think they, they wanted Urban to win them a Super Bowl or anything. They just wanted to be put back on the map. And do I think they ever imagined it getting this bad? No. But now that it has, I think Urban has to go. I don't think he has been productive in any way, shape, or form. He has stunted players' growth. He has brought a, unneeded attention to players. It's just been a big, gigantic mess. I think this was supposed to be LaVisca Chanel's breakout year or where he came into this offense and showed what he really could do. I think he's one of the more better gadget players in the NFL with what he can do. I think a good a, a player that he's, he reminds me of is Debo Samuel with the receiving ability he has and how he can come out the backfield. But look at the diff- two difference between the two guys is Debo Samuel's in San Francisco with a good head coach and a good scheme versus LaVisca Chanel, who's in Jacksonville, who's with Urban Meyer and a team who's rebuilding. So that's why you see the two different productions from the two different guys. And Urban Meyer just all around has been one of the more unproductive coaches. He's been making boneheaded decisions, and it was just a complete embarrassment, not only to his wife, but to his team. You know, when you're hired as a head coach, you are hired by who – you know, you can have a life. I don't think I don't think that's what head coaching like that takes you out of that. But your life is devoted to this team now. And I don't think he quite understood that. 
I thought he could still, I think he still thought he could be Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer from the three years where he was, he didn't have a job and that's just not what he could do anymore. And I think Jacksonville after their or going into their bye week should fire him, just recognize that they made a bad move and go, go on about their business. I think that's one of the things that, you know, GMs and front offices struggle with in the NFL is their egos. And, you know, when, if they make a bad hire, they're going to back it up until they can. And it's like, you know, soon as you realize that you've messed up, you cut it there and then you move on. And I think the team that did that, and now you can see where they are is the Rams. The Rams recognize, you know, Jared Goff made a mistake. Todd Gurley, we made a mistake. And now it's time to cut ties. They gave around, they gave away their first picks and now they're Super Bowl contenders. And I think Jacksonville, now I'm not saying they can, by cutting Urban Meyer, be Super Bowl contenders, but I think they need to make that step in recognizing that they made a mistake with hiring Urban Meyer and go on about their business. Now, I've thought about this question because I've seen, like we saw with Adam Gase last year, we all thought that man was going to get fired after week five, week six, after his horrendous start in 2020. And then he gets fired, what, at the end of the season? And that just brought up my question, you know, when is this dude going to get hired? Because I have a feeling I don't think that he'll get fired until after this season. I really don't. Where where is your mind on that? Um, like I said, I think going into the bye week is when he should be fired. It gives Jacksonville time to, you know, figure out when they where they should go about the the coach head coaching thing, who they should hire, things like that. It gives them basically two weeks to find that. But if not into the bye week, then you definitely should do it, you know, during the season so that going into the off season, you don't have to worry about all the you know, who, what, or when are we going to fire him? How are we going to do this? Just get it out of the way. Go into the offseason knowing that you have one goal and finding a head coach that could pair with Trevor Lawrence. I definitely do think they should have some input from Trevor Lawrence as an organization because the teams that are, you know, better in the league have great head coach and quarterback chemistry. And I think if they allow Trevor Lawrence to, ha- to have some input, then I think that'll that'll put them – a, a, a bit of a head to where they are now. And, you know, I would I would agree with that. You know, Trevor Lawrence, I think right now uh, he should have a little bit of a say, but would you think that's a little too early for him to have um, a say? I think, you know, yes, it, yes, it'll be after his year one, but when you get, when you pick a guy, number one, I think he earns – that right because when you pick a guy number one you're saying we want you to be my franchise quarterback so you can't pick him number one and then not treat him like he's number one so if you're going to pick him number one you're giving him the respects that he's the franchise guy so I think there's you don't you don't allow him to choose what head coach you go but I definitely think that earns him some input of how the organization should go because you're basically putting the organization in his hands saying here you go take us take us to the Super Bowl eventually. So I think I think he earns some some respect in that manner. That's that's correct. And you know, a lot of the stuff that you've said, I would probably probably echo if I uh thought of it quick enough, but I guess we'll <laughs> move on to our our next topic, but before I do that, I'll just I would 
I think we both have that same sentiment of this is a bad head coaching hire. And we just pray that Trevor Lawrence doesn't really get that get cursed in Jacksonville because he he although he wasn't my number one and he wasn't your number one, he was he's certainly a special talent and he shouldn't get wasted up there in Jacksonville. Oh, so now now we move on to our next topic. So I I just put this as one takeaway. So we have a bunch of friends on our floor at the Walter Cronkite School and. We're just going to talk about their favorite teams. Just name one takeaway from each squad. And Keith, where do you want to start off when it comes to these teams? Uh, I think we should start off with the hot team in the Dallas Cowboys. I think that'd be a good start. All right. So I'll let you name your one takeaway from them. Uh, my one takeaway is that, you know, Dak, I think, has comeback player of the year locked up. But I do think they should ride this high horse of the running game that they had. I think no one expected the one-two punch in Pollard and Zeke to be as dominant as, as it's been this year. And I think if they continue to ride that high horse with, you know, Dak being there, just his presence being there, I think helps the run game. And I think they, they follow that high horse. It'll take them into the playoffs. I don't know how far, but it'll definitely get them there. Now, I know that a couple weeks weeks back the you were saying – Tony Pollard, RB1, do you still have that same sentiments? 1,000%. I, I I will stand on this for as long as I can. You know, Zeke is definitely not the same guy he was last year. He's definitely progressed in, the, in that way. But I still think Pollard, as an all-around back, provides more than Zeke does. You know, my big thing on running backs is that it's not like the NFL is adapted to where running backs need to – be able to run the ball and catch the ball. And I think that's what Pollard can do that Zeke can't. Zeke is not a receiving back. He's a power back. You know, you put a good line in front of him and he will have 100-yard games. He will lead the league in, in, in rushing. But Pollard has more burst, the more agility. He can make certain cuts that Zeke can't. And he's a home runner hitter at times. And Zeke, Zeke isn't that anymore. He has, I think his longest run was 40 yards. And that was like his longest run in like the last three years. So he's clearly not the home run hitter that you want out of a running back. All right. Fair enough. I think that the certain Cowboys fan is going to really get onto you about that for sure. I'm sure. So for me, I, you know, not only is Dak back, he looks he looks on fire. He looks very good. He just looks like a different quarterback to me. The last two, three years, I saw his pocket awareness and pocket presence just be one of the worst in the league in terms of, you know, sensing pressure. I didn't see a whole lot of that in the last two to three years. And, you know, this year, especially when he's coming off as major of an injury as he was coming off of, you wouldn't have expected it to get get much better, especially for somebody that, you know, scrambled. You know, a player would have scram that used to have scrambling on his head on his mind, and mm-hmm. now that he gets that injury, that that injury will always be in the back of his head. He'll always he you would think that he would always have the nerves, but in terms of you know, arm talent, pocket presence, moving around in the pocket, moving outside of the pocket. He just looks so much better. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like this Cowboys fan and say, you know, he's a top three quarterback, but I think 
the argument of him being top five at the end of the season, it's not that far-fetched. 100%. Now, I guess we'll stay in the division. Let's talk about your Giants. Let's go with you first. Uh, You know, we have a plethora of problems at the moment, but I think injuries is just, you know, I think it was made bigger than what we wanted it to be this past week against Dallas. You know, Daniel Jones went down, Saquon. It got to a point where nine of our 11 starters were out with injuries, and it's just like you can't really have that as as a team, you know, and it hurts going forward, you know, when you won a developmental year or the Giants were even not by many, but seemed to supposed to have a bounce back year this year. And it was coming into the year was, oh, if Daniel Jones is good, the Giants will be good. Well Daniel Jones has been good. It's 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 on the it's on the defense now. And they've they've been underachieving all year. Bradbury took a step back. Leonard Williams hasn't been as dominant. I think what's unspoken of is that, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson helped his game a ton, and now that we don't have him, it's showing. I think he's still good in the run game, but his pass, he's not getting sacks like he was last year. Ojalari has been one of the better edge rookies. Uh, he's been making every Giants fan happy, as is Tony. I think we all have seen, you know, nine, 10 catches for 189 yards. He had 196 total. So the guy's the guy's a baller. I love Tony. You know, the punch is what people focus on. I kind of like it. You know, I I think he shows fight that this team doesn't have. I will I I will compare him to Odell and say that Odell had that same passion and same want to win that Tony does, and this team needs to have that because right now he's the only one, and that's why I don't I don't see us getting more than two to three wins this year and having a top five pick next year. All right. You know, I, there's not much that I can argue with you on this or with anybody, really. You know, I'm I'm mainly a Cardinals guy, and I'll be a casual Giants guy. So when it comes to a lot of these other teams, I can't really debate it much unless I think otherwise. So I'll take your word for it when it comes to Kadarius <laughs> Tony and Odell Beckham. Because from the casual perspective... I don't see it, but that's just a matter of me. I have to look everything up. When it comes to the Giants for me, and I'll, I'll echo that same, those same words that Daniel Jones hasn't been a problem at all. He is, he's looked like a better quarterback. I'm not going to say top 12, top 10. I'm not going to go to that far, but he hasn't mm-hmm. been a problem, and he's looked very good protecting the ball much much better than I would have expected, for sure. Mm-hmm. But you look at how this team is built and how it has been built the last two years, and I think that everybody, I wouldn't say everybody, but I think that people would agree that Saquon was the wrong pick. In oh, my 100%. eyes. 100%. And I will back that for a long time, you know. as back when Back when that pick was happening, I hate to cut you off, but this is a from a, from a Giants perspective, it's a very go ahead topic that we all we all argue about it all the time. It's on Giants Twitter all the time, but it's like that was a very bad pick, and that just sums up Dave Gettleman's tenure with the Giants. Is that you have the number two pick in 
even even if it was a guaranteed that he was going to be great, you still had teams who wanted to trade up and give you future first rounders, and you still could have possibly got the guy, even if you didn't. I, I'm a firm believer that you build a team inside and out, meaning that you start with the O line, D line, and then branch out. Obviously, you gotta you gotta get quarterback in there. But at the time, we had Eli, and we were still hoping that he wasn't, you know, falling off as much as he was. But you still had Quentin Nelson and guys like that who you could have very easily picked, and you decided to go running back, and that stunted us back five years because obviously, you know, Saquon talent wise is top five, but we can't keep him on the field because he gets hurt because he's hit a yard behind the scrim- behind the line of scrimmage every play. And it's just like every we saw this coming. You know, people didn't want to acknowledge it, but we all saw it coming, and, and, and it sucks, but it's the truth as a fan. And if you wanted to get yourselves a running back later on, because obviously I would have picked Quentin Nelson too with number two, you still had Nick Chubb available in the second round. You mm-hmm. still had, I mean – I don't know if Ronald Jones would be much of a much of an improvement, but he was very, uh, very liked coming out of that draft class, I, mm-hmm. and that's that's been the problem inside and out. You know, I like I've always liked Andrew Thomas. I was a believer in him coming out of the draft, and he's played well too. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's good that he ended up selecting himself an offensive lineman, but. You start in the trenches. That's where a lot of our mindset is on. That's why the Cardinals failed last year. They didn't invest in their offensive line. They didn't invest much into their defensive line. And look at them now. They're doing much better. And, that, you know, I guess you could say, you know, with hindsight, the Giants could have, should have uh, had that same sentiment, build from the trenches out. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on. We have unfortunately one more to one more team to go through in that division. Let's talk about the Eagles. Let's talk about the Eagles now. Uh, you know, I've I've watched a fair share of the Eagles game. I haven't watched them start to finish. You know, I got to watch film for that. I plan on doing that sometime soon. But from what I've watched, I think their defense has struggled the entire year. But they did play well against the Sam Donald and the Panthers yesterday. I think Darius Slay played. One of his best games as an Eagle, you know, Javon Hargrave has been dominant from that inside spot that, that he's just been causing problems for every team he's played. He's been one of the more constant things on that team. You know, it's been a, a known and understood thing from fans and everybody, actually, that the Eagles don't run the ball. And that surprises many because you have a quarterback who can run the ball and running backs who can run the ball with Gainwell and Sanders. And to not run the ball is is just flat out dumb because when you have running a running quarterback, it helps your team in more ways than one. You know, obviously he can run the ball, but then when teams have to focus on him, you have to worry about, oh, is a running back going to get it or is a quarterback going to get it? And I think they're taking that out from their own game, and I, I genuinely do not understand it. But I think the Eagles are in a good place right now. I think all their top-tier players are – aging and becoming older so I think that'll hurt them in the long run but they do have three or two to three first round picks you know the Carson Wentz situation determines the third but I think they are in the better of the situations in the NFL when it comes to the future and I but I I think the one thing that can set them back is this 
if Jalen Hurts isn't good or if Nick Sirianni isn't good. And so far, you know, despite them being two and three, Sirianni hasn't been but so much consistent or hasn't really reassured Eagles fans if he's the guy or not. So I think they'll be okay. But, you know, this division is Dallas is to win. So your takeaway was Sirianni? Most likely, yeah. It was basically Sirianni. I'm going to go to Hurts. His his improvement as a quarterback has been so fascinating. You remember him at Alabama and how, I don't want to say how bad, but like he didn't have the arm talents that he did and uh, that he does now, I guess you could say. He wasn't a good prospect at, at Alabama. He goes to Oklahoma and he improves quite, quite a bit. Pretty much becoming a, pretty close to a Heisman finalist, was he? Yeah, he finished. He was fourth. He finished fourth, and then he finished second to to Burrow. But that's besides the point. He was he's improved so much in those four years, four or five years in college. He goes in the second round, which was a surprise. You don't know what you're expecting from him. You just expect pretty much a running quarterback from him. Um, and coming out of the draft, he was. He he didn't have any pocket pressure, uh, pocket presence. Sorry, uh, he usually left the pocket without having any pressure on him whatsoever, and and he would, I don't know, you could say run backwards or just play hero ball. That's a better way to put it. He played a lot of hero ball in college. The four or five games that he played last year. You could tell that he was definitely going to be a project, but he had a much better arm than a lot of other people expected to begin this season. Sure, the record doesn't reflect it. And, you know, the rest of the team, it doesn't necessarily reflect how surprising Jalen Hurts has been. I think he's been very consistent as a quarterback. You know, I don't want to use the 1,100 passing yards, seven touchdowns, only two picks. But in terms of being aware in the pocket, he's looked better. He's not – he still has that problem of just leaving the pocket too early, but you can tell that he's doing doing it a lot less. And he's running – he's running more. And I think that'll be a problem in the long term especially if he's going to continue to take hits. But, you know, so far through four or five games, he has been one of the pleasant surprises for me. I can agree with that. All right. So we just finished through three teams. Let's go to the, let's go to the Saints. I want to talk about the Saints. Let's do it. So, I find it so interesting how they just fully took on Jameis's identity as a quarterback. You have no idea what you're expecting from this team week to week. And that's what Jameis has been throughout his entire career. We saw his 30-30 season, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. We saw him have a relatively good year in his, in his second year. We see, you know, the good, the good and the bad throughout this season. 
you you see them blow them out, thirty eight to three. You see them blow out the Packers, thirty eight to three, and then lay a goose egg uh, against the Panthers and just come down to that level. It's that inconsistency that I didn't necessarily expect. I thought Peyton was gonna, I want to say, make him super like a thousand percent consistent, but it, I definitely thought it they would be better than their ref- record reflects. Mm-hmm. I, I, I a thousand percent agree with that. You know, I, I've watched my fair share of Saints games this year. You know, my roommates are Saints fans. So I've been, I don't want to say forced to watch because I love watching football all around, but You've been forced. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. I definitely had to watch more Saints games than I would have liked, but I, I can say that they, they from t- like, you can tell when they open the playbook versus when they try to limit Jameis and what he can do. And Jameis's identity, Jameis has an arm, you know. Jameis wants to throw the ball deep. He wants to extend the playbook. And the Saints from time to time try to hold him back from doing that, like the Giants game when they didn't. They only took, you know, two to three big shots. And you could tell that they needed to take more of them you know, one of them got held back by or called back by a hold, but you could tell that they didn't, you know, fully trust if James could do the job. And it's just like, you guys, I understand you want to make the playoffs, but you need to see what you have with James. And that means opening the playbook. You know, he says he's learned a lot from Drew Brees. So you've got to open the playbook. If he makes turnovers, it's okay. I mean, it happens in football. You obviously want to limit them. But if he's not the guy, you need to know that sooner rather than later. So instead of, you know, limiting the playbook and trying to have him as much of a game manager as he can, just open the playbook, you know, let it let him extend plays, let him throw deep, get creative, use Taysom Hill. But yeah, my one my one focus on this one team is the common is a duo with Sean Payton and Jameis Winston and figuring out if he's the guy or not. Do you think that he will eventually be the guy? Now you see, there's very minimal amount of guys who are the guy as the quarter at the quarterback position. I think Jameis could be the upper tier of game managers in the NFL. And with I think with how the Saints are built, I think they could use that as him being the upper tier of the game managers. And I think he can produce as that. But do I think he will ever touch that tier of offering anything extra to be that guy? No, I don't think he can be that guy. All right. That's what I that's what I was gonna echo. I don't think that he will be that starter, that uh star player that a lot of people were expecting him to be uh coming out of Florida State being the number one overall pick. I definitely do think that he could develop into that game manager for sure so now i do want to move to the to the north let's talk about chicago now you could go first on that um you know i have this talk with our bears fan quite often he's been doing his fair share of attempting to get me to you know like justin fields i had him ranked as my fifth best quarterback fifth and i wasn't I wasn't too uh, – coming out of this class, I wasn't too high on him. You know, Ohio State quarterbacks never work. His mechanics, in my opinion, weren't where they should be. He's done his fair share of, you know, persuading me himself. Justin Fields has been playing quite impressively. They just beat the Raiders. 
But nonetheless, I the Bears are one of the teams where it's just like they're gonna go like six and eleven or six and twelve. My mistake. I, I don't see them being anything spectacular, but I do think they just need to figure out what Justin Fields can offer and go from there. They don't have their first round pick, but they also need to figure out Allen Robinson. And I actually do want to speak on him a bit more as to the Bears organization and their front office is a mess when it comes to him. You know, he was he voiced how upset he was through Twitter last year when he got franchise tagged. You know, Matt Nagy is causing him problems. Also, um, I forgot their GM's name, but he has Ryan been, had, yeah, Ryan Pace has had his question marks surrounding him. So, you know, obviously it's a bunch going on on the upper level, you know, things with the Chicago Bears, but they need to figure out Justin Fuse and Allen Robinson fast. And that'll determine where they can go from now because they also do have Khalil Mack on the other side. And if they can't figure these two problems out first, that'll loom and become a bigger problem than it should be. So I was going to echo their front office as well. I don't think that they've done well throughout the last four years, whether that was surrounding fields, whether that was surrounding Mitchell Trubisky um, or coaching up Mitchell Trubisky. And right now, you know, the Bears, for me, they're they're just a mess. And it's so weird to say that they're a mess while they have a winning record. So you got to think something's got to be going right, whether that be scheduling or if they're actually playing up to their strengths. But I, I would just say, like, Fields has been a bit more impressive than I thought he was going to be with that offensive line. I mean, considering his first game with Chicago, you thought that he would have been doomed after the season. But... He's looked a lot better. He's looked a lot more poised uh, these last couple of games. But all you could really do for the Bears now, all you got to do is look towards the future. I think they – I'm a bit higher on fields than you are, than you were. So I think that he'll be the guy for Chicago. I liked the Tevin Jenkins pick. It sucks that he's on IR, but I thought that was an excellent pick in the second round. I think I don't know if Allen Robinson is going to come back, considering that he has kind of underperformed under this franchise tag. Uh, and you know, simply put, they just all outside of that, they have speedsters: it's Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin, Jakeem Grant, Mooney, Rashad Perryman. Just a whole lot of speedsters. But the thing that uh, they all have in common: relatively young. I'm not gonna say like two second, third-year pl- players, but they're relatively young, mid-20s, and I think that could help uh, develop with Justin. I think Montgomery's a good back. You still have studs on the defense when it comes to Mac. I think Roquan Smith is criminally underrated. They have a decent defensive line. They could develop the secondary. I like Jalen Johnson. And just simply put, it's just a matter of they got to look towards the future. They got to fire Nagy in my eyes. They got to fire Pace in my eyes. They they got work to do, but you got to say, you got to say, like, this future is bright for Chicago. No doubt. And we'll stay in this division again. I'm going to let you start off with Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota is an interesting one due to the fact that, you know, 
I don't see them as Super Bowl contenders next this year or next. I think, you know, by the time anything becomes special in Minnesota, they're going to have to figure out where to go with surrounding the quarterback position. Kirk won't be Kirk forever. So they're going to have to figure that out sooner or later. I, I was pretty high on Kellen Mond. So I think he may be able to be, I got to see where he goes as a quarterback for them. I think Dalvin Cook, you know, I don't want to say he's injury prone. I think he's a very productive back. But, you know, I think Madison is better than most people give him credit for because whenever he's whenever he's his number's called, he steps up and provides a good amount for that for that Minnesota team. I think they've got a special duo in Thielen and Jefferson. And the defense, you know, the secondary is questionable. Eric Kendrick is a top three middle linebacker. He's a stud. You know, Daniel Hunter, top five edge rusher, he's a stud. So they've got some studs on that defensive on that defense, but you know, surrounding the Minnesota Vikings, I think I put them in a tier with the Bears, and they they are just that focus on the future. Let's 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 figure out what we what we have now and where we need to go in the future. But where I think they should focus on is figuring out the successor for for Kirk because Kirk right now they they may it may make the playoffs, they may not, but you're gonna have to figure out where to go from that quarterback position sooner rather than later. So I was the opposite on Kellen Mond coming out of the draft. I thought he was really stiff as a quarterback and didn't have the greatest arm. It was still a good value pick in the third round. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking the quarterback in the third round. But oh, yeah. I de- do you think that he is the future and who could be the future of that Vikings quarterback position? Um, you know, I was me saying I was high on him doesn't mean like I thought he was gonna he's gonna be anything too special. I don't know if he'll be, you know, the upper tier of quarterbacks in this league. I don't believe so. But I don't see the Vikings having a high enough pick to find that extra guy or a guy who can be that, who can have that it factor. So I, I think they have to give, you know, Kalamon a chance, see what he can do. I think he has a relatively big arm. So if he can offer an extended playbook, because he has a way bigger arm than Kirk, and if Jettis can run deep, I think that'll help the team tremendously. So, you know, it's all about figuring what you have. I don't think he'll be but so good for them. Oh, you know, I I, I think how, where you go from it is figuring out what Kellen Mond is quickly. If he's not what you want him to be, then you've got to figure it out through the draft. So I've been very... I really don't know where to go with this Vikings team. It's so hard to tell if they're in win now or if they're building for the future. They got the young guys in Jefferson and Irv Smith, uh, Darisaw, Garrett Bradbury, a lot of these younger guys. But then you look at the defense. It's a lot of these savvy veterans and not a whole lot of youth anymore now that uh, Jeff Gladney is gone. Uh, Mike Hughes is gone. I don't really know where to go with this Vikings Vikings team, truth be told. And I guess that's where I'll end off my Vikings takeaway, is that it's just so hard to make out this team. I, I think if something comes up, I'll probably say it later on in the episode. But I do mm-hmm. want to go to the AFC our first AFC team and only AFC team, the Browns. And I'll let you start it off again. I'm a very uh, nice guy this episode. 
I'm usually never <laughs> this nice. <laughs> I appreciate it, Ian. Uh, the Browns, I think, are like a top four team in the AFC. I think they're on the uh, they're a part of that upper team, uh, upper tier of teams in the AFC. I think you know their sole focus. You know their defense is a bit banged up, so is the offensive line. But I think come playoff time, they'll all they'll be at full strength. Nobody's out for the season. Miles Garrett is having. He's performing like I, I'll put him in the Aaron Donald, T.J. Watts here. He's just up there and he's dominating. He's make he's the, his some of his pass rush moves are things not even T.J. Watt or Aaron Donald could do. Aaron Donald could do. It was one play I remember he had where he basically teleported in and got through the gap, and it was it was something like you had to slow down the video to make sure it was real. But I'm really high on him. I think the only focus you can have for this team is making sure Baker's the guy. Like, picking Baker basically meant, like, he, he, he's the franchise guy. It's Baker or Bust, you know. A-Rod may be a free agent, but you have to figure out if, if Baker could be that guy to, to win them the Super Bowl because their team – they're good enough to win the Super Bowl. They've got a good defense. It's still young, but very talented. Offensive line is good. They have the best one-two punch as, at the running back position there is. They've got to figure out the Odell problem. Jarvis will come back sooner or later. You know, I was really high on Anthony Shorts and, and Demetrius Felton. They have both. I think this offense is built to win a Super Bowl, but it's all on Baker Mayfield. You know, it, it really is – if Baker is good, they have a great chance of winning the Super Bowl. If Baker isn't, they don't. They just put up a great fight against the Chargers, who I think the season, they will be a great team. And I stand on this. I'll say that I don't think the Chargers are uh, – I think they're still definitely Super Bowl contenders, but I don't think they win it this year. I think they win it next year. I think they are of that mold of the Bills from, I think it was either Josh Allen's second, first or second year when they played the Texans in the playoffs and lost. I think they're of that tier, you know, how they came back the next year and obviously they made the AFC championship. So I think the Chargers, you know, they'll make it to the playoffs. They'll either lose in the first or second round, but next year after when it's Justin Herbert's third year, everything will come into fruition and they'll, they'll be true contenders. But I think the Browns, this is Baker's third year, and I think this is when it all comes together. Like they, they just fell short last year. I think if this is when it comes together. Now, for this Browns fan, we can't go this whole Browns segment without talking about JOK. He's been a fucking <laughs> stud. Yeah, he's been great. I, and that's, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I had him ranked higher than I did Michael Parsons throughout the draft. I think, you know, Michael Parsons is a very good player, but I think he was mispositioned in a way. He's a great edge, as we've seen in the NFL. I think, you know, many people don't have his ability. But in coverage, this guy is a, is a sitting duck. He's genuinely often confused as to where he's supposed to be. And he doesn't make plays at that position. But JOK, JOK can tackle. JOK can be all over the field. He can do it all. And I was really high on this guy coming into the draft. And he has done nothing but prove me right this year. And same thing with the... Um... Same question when, uh, with regards to the James question, is Baker that guy? No, yeah, I, I'm, I'm for sure. Baker isn't. He doesn't have an it factor that you need. But I think Baker, like James, can be one of the better game managers. And you know, it, it sucks when you draft a guy number one and he ends up not having an it factor. But Baker does not have an it factor like 
I I think Josh Allen's it, it factor coming out of that draft was his arm. You know, as we've seen many times, Lamar's it factor is his his ability to extend plays. So you know, Baker doesn't have that. I guess his it factor is his his swag, but that's not in the NFL. That's not a good enough it factor to be on that upper tier of guys. Yeah, talk to Odell about it. <laughs> but you pretty much, I mean, you stole my one takeaway. Uh, I think Miles Garrett is defensive player of the year through five weeks. Oh, um, and no disrespect to Trayvon Diggs at all because he's been playing out of his mind. But, I mean, he's gave up a lot of yards. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, he but, got cooked by Darius Tony. I got to throw that in. Yeah, man, could you imagine if this was like a YouTube video podcast? I know that you would be begging for me to insert that clip during this conversation. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, I've been giving it to the Cowboys fan quite often. Uh, Miles Garrett is, I mean, you you said it for me. I don't think there's much more ex- explanation. He's, as a physical specimen, he's up there with Aaron Donald. There's no doubt about that. And his finesse, his speed, his power, the fact that he still doesn't get double teamed regularly blows my mind. I see him sometimes with tight ends. You just think, why is there tight ends on him? And he's just he's just physically dominant. There's no other way to explain it at all. At all. Yeah. So we're on to two more teams. Both in the NFC West, you know, it's a tradition of mine to put the Cardinals last. So let's uh, let's talk about the Niners first. No. So I guess I'll go ahead and start first. We just played them. So they have Trey Lance, who he had an okay game, a little less than okay game, had his pick. Ran for 89 yards, had 192 passing. Not bad at all. Now, I'm going to take it back a couple years where they drafted Nick Bosa. Um, they traded for Emmanuel Sanders. It was at that point where they self-appointed themselves as, as Super Bowl contenders, and they ended up making the Super Bowl after that. The next year, they, they have injuries. There's a lot of health problems. They end up trading up into the draft. They give up three firsts. And it's for a project quarterback, which I found confusing. I mean, this is a team that is pursuing a Super Bowl. And it's a team with self-appointed Super Bowl aspirations. And they're simply declining due to their self-arrogance. I understand that they wanted another another quarterback uh, to compete with Jimmy Garoppolo. But if you're a Super Bowl, if you're a team that wants to go to the Super Bowl, I, you know, you don't pick a project player for these next three years, especially if you want to go to that damn Super Bowl. It, it's part of the reason why I'm sold on this little rumor, I guess you could say. I'm completely sold that if it wasn't for the media bashing on this rumor that Mac Jones is going to be number three, if that, if the media didn't bash him so hard for it, I truly believe that Mac Jones would have been that pick. Uh, in terms of, 
his poise and uh, maturity at, in terms of a, a quarterback, mm. he's, a, he's definitely a guy that could lead a team to a Super Bowl, be a, the game manager, I guess you could say, which is which would be perfect for the Niners. I mean, they made it to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo and very simply Mac Jones is has a stronger arm than Jimmy Garoppolo is just as just smarter than Jimmy Garoppolo physically is better than him. I think that trading three firsts for a guy that you, you could tell after preseason, after the, after this game against the Cardinals that, it was definitely arrogant to trade three firsts for somebody that's going to be developing for a long time, mm-hmm. a long time. So I a hundred percent agree. Your takeaway. Uh, you know, Trey Lance is, I I had him as one of the better quarterbacks in this class. Obviously, you know, he's a gadget player. He didn't have much film to go off of. But like you said, that rumor is a thousand percent true. I think they a hundred percent were going to go Mac Jones because he fits the Jimmy Garoppolo mold. You know, he's a guy who can sit in the pocket, deliver the pass where it needs to be and just be a game manager. You know, I I said this to many people. My stepmother's a 49ers fan. So we we had discussed this plenty, plenty of times, but I think you put about 20 other quarterbacks in that position in that Super Bowl to deliver that throw to Emmanuel Sanders, and they make it. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, having what, I think it was like seven or eight attempts against the Vikings that year, like that that just spoke volumes as to who he was for a quarterback. It just that team was so well built that they did, like the quarterback was masked and nobody really had to, look at, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo really is bad. And unless you were an NFL junkie and really wanted to devote all your life to it, you didn't really look into it that much. But Jimmy G was the problem of that team. You know, I think Kyle Shanahan kind of ruined that game because he came in trying to outsmart Andy Reid and it was like, okay, I'm going to pass the ball. And yeah, it worked for a majority of the game. And then it came to a time when they just needed to run the ball and they didn't. And that's what allowed Kansas city to come back. I think now he wanted, he was in love with Josh Allen, but that was right when they got Jimmy. So it was like, we're not going to go get Jimmy and then go Josh Allen. But nonetheless, I think he now has the opportunity to get a Josh Allen, like guy, that's who my player count was for, you know, uh, Trey Lance. So I think now that he has that guy, he doesn't know what to do with him. Now that he has him, he doesn't know what to do with him. It's like he had 16 rushes and all the running backs had 10 rushes combined for the game yesterday. It's like right. he's he now has this guy who can run a quarterback power, and he's never had that before. So it's like, what do I do with him? Okay, this is how he's been used, so I'm going to continue to use him like that. And I, I don't believe – no, I, I once um, I think it was Isaiah Simmons and another guy who met Trey Lance at the goal line – if that's either Isaiah Simmons or the other guy one-on-one, I think Trey Lance wins that battle nine times out of ten. But nonetheless, Trey Lance is a project guy, and they have to figure out how to get him to work in this system and how he's going to play because he's not a game. He has the it factor that a lot of these quarterbacks don't. Mac Jones, in my, in my opinion, did not have that it factor. But it was one route I saw – Yesterday, from yesterday's game to Brandon Ayuk, 
where he put that ball and he had so much zip on it and it was only one place you can get it because it was amazing defense. But he got that ball to Brandon Ayuk and it was like, that's the guy who you know can win games for you. He's not a guy who you don't win, you don't lose games because of. You want to have that guy who you win games because of. And I think that's who he is. All right, dude. Where where else do I want to go as 49? I was going to say something, and then you said something that kind of echoed it, and I kind of wanted to echo it. I think I'll think about it soon. But I do want to go move on to our our last and our favorite team, the Arizona Cardinals. They're the best team in the NFL through five weeks. It's not particularly close in my eyes. Is there bias in there? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I look at the offense. That's pretty dominant. Kyler is a threat with his arm, with his legs. He looks so much better in terms of uh, when to leave the pocket. I mean, combined, Aaron Rodgers is pocket awareness, pocket presence, and combine it with Lamar Jackson and his running ability. I feel like that's what Kyler Murray is right now. He's playing at such an elite level, and he has so much help. I mean, he's got the uh, one-two duo of Chase Edmonds and your favorite running back, James Conner. You have five receivers that could get get it done on any given night. You still have Hop, and you still have Christian Kirk. You bring in A.J. Green, who doesn't look – he doesn't look washed, according to everybody else. I mean, he doesn't look washed at all. Rondale Moore has been – I'm going to use uh, one of our friend's favorite words. He's been electric. You look at – uh, so that was Kirk, AJ, shit. Max Williams, before he got hurt yesterday, w- looked pretty legit as a run blocker, as a pass catcher. The offensive line has been holding up pretty well. The defense has been super surprising in terms of their secondary. Robert Alford has been playing in terms of coverage. Same could be said with Marco Wilson and Byron Murphy. Isaiah Simmons looks like one of the most improved players in the league. Jordan Hicks is looking so much better. There's so much to like about this entire team that, you know, there's so many players that'll that'll go unnoticed. But, you know, the guys like Isaiah Simmons, the guys like Marco Wilson and Robert Alford, shit, Jalen Thompson even, and J.J. Watt, those guys have been so key for this Cardinals team. Those guys are not going to get – as much love as Kyler, as Hop, um, as Buddha Baker, as Chandler Jones, but I'm I'm gonna recognize them right now. They've been so damn good these last five weeks, and I just need to shine light on them. I <laughs> uh, I will I I won't say I echo that because that did have a bit of you know bias bias oh, behind it. Absolutely. But I won't even blame you, you know. When your team's 5-0 and on a high horse like the Cardinals, if that was the Giants, I'd be on a high horse myself. And uh, me and you, we, you know, I have Kyler as my fantasy quarterback, so we've discussed it time and time again. I think this Cardinals team has it all and has what it takes. It doesn't seem as though Cliff is holding them back anymore. No one, you know, see anyone bashing Cliff anymore now that the Cardinals are doing good. 
You are now so that you lucky got... that I am not talking about Cliff about this throughout that entire thing because shit, this may have been an additional three minutes of me rambling about Cliff, Vance Joseph, shit, our president even. <laughs> Nonetheless, I think, you know, Kyler, that was pretty high praise for him comparing him to a, a mix for, between A-Rod and Lamar. But I won't even knock it down, you know. I, I think he understands that he's a small – he's maybe the smallest quarterback in the NFL and that the amount of time that the average quarterback gets is shorter for him. And he has to get out of there. And I think, you know, him and Russell Wilson are pretty alike when it comes to their – they can win in the pocket, but they really win games out of the pocket. And when the play is broken down, that's when they're at their best that's when you truly see Kyler Murray delivering balls where they need to be. You know, he has this, I guess, thing where he just throws it off his back foot and, you know, kind of curls up like a baby and falls to the ground when some, when a bigger dude's coming at him. And it's just him protecting himself. But it seemed to work pretty often. And it's just like this Arizona team has put it all together. They look well put. You know, me and you have discussed Byron Murphy a ton. I, I, I you know, I wanted him coming out of that draft and just watching him begin to become that cornerback one for you guys has been good for you good for good to see you know I also wanted Isaiah Simmons coming out of last year's draft you know guys like him just are made out of a lab they don't come every year and I think he's been we talked about this even prior to the season if you if you don't remember we were on a walk one time and we had discussed uh, Isaiah Simmons and we had a good talk about him and how he is you know he's a guy who can truly change games and I, I've been loving watching him play this year and watching him you know progress as just a versatile defender I don't want to call him a safety or a linebacker just a versatile defender I truly enjoy seeing him make plays and create problems on on the defense on the defense you know Chase Edmonds you know I benefit from any Cardinals touchdown if it wasn't James Conner but it seems to be James Conner a ton but you know I still think Having a receiving back in Chase Edmonds who can also run the ball, but having a guy who you know on third and one or on the goal line can get it in and James Conner is very impressive to have. And it just seems like you have all the right pieces. Right now, I think Max Williams is going to hurt. But nonetheless, I do think you guys are good enough to where it doesn't completely ruin everything. There, are, Rodney Hudson, our, son, our center that we trade for, he got hurt. Uh, he has a ribs injury, but just the players that we got inside the trenches with Hudson, with J.J. Watt, in terms of their physicality, how productive they have been, their leadership, it's been so impressive when it comes to everybody else on this team. Because simply put, that's why they didn't make the playoffs last year. They didn't have a vocal leader. They didn't have toughness up front, and it's – and now that they do, and they have a slightly better team than they did last year, you just add those guys, and they've paid dividends. They've made Steve Keim, our general manager, look like a genius. But, uh, yeah, you can tell where my bias is coming from. So, <laughs> 100%, 100%. I, I do enjoy, enjoy watching Cardinals football, regardless of, you know, I, Kyler's my fantasy QB, so, you know, I'm riding his high horse. 
But nonetheless, he's a, a front runner for MVP this year. I think he's been playing better than majority of the quarterbacks in the NFL. I think his ability to extend plays and even have design runs, because, you know, when you catch him one-on-one in the field, there's not a lot of guys who have the speed or quickness to bring him down regardless of his size. It's, it's impressive to see. I do enjoy watching him play, and I think you guys can continue to ride this high horse. And I don't – I'm not sure. Who do you guys play this week? We play Cleveland. We play Cleveland. I think this, you know, everybody's wondered if the Rams would be your first test. And I think they could have been. But I think you guys that, – that's what told me you guys were a real team. But I think playing an AFC team in the Browns is really going to give you guys a test as to is this the Cardinals team that can, that can win it all. I hope that gets flexed to Sunday night. I don't want to see Geno Smith and Big Ben go at it. I, I genuinely agree with you. I do not want to see that game on Sunday night, so I hope they get switched. And that's all we could hope for, a Cardinals 21-20-0 championship. I think we're all down for that. But I would, I would truly enjoy watching a Sunday night game between JT and Ian saying you guys go at it and who, whose team comes out on top. I, I, I kind of want to see that a lot. I kind of don't. I don't. <laughs> I think I'll get a little too into it, and then he will too. Might end in tears from one of us. <laughs> but I think that wraps up our our one takeaways from each of those teams. I think we could move on to three surprises. And I'm going to start it off because I've been pretty nice. I want to be nice to myself too. Oh, you I deserve. Let's. This football team defense has taken such a dramatic fall that I wasn't going to see coming. I thought Chase Young was going to take that step to be one of those premier pass rushers. I thought the addition of William Jackson in the offseason was going to be so much better than their addition of Ronald Darby. I thought they had probably the, the second or the best uh, front seven in the league. And I really don't know what their problem is. They brought back a lot of their players. They brought, brought in some better players and they just taken the fall. I don't know where, where it went wrong. You know, I, I hate to cut you off cause I know this is your, your spot, but you know, I, I cut when I was in DC cause that's where I'm from. Yeah. I, you know, I'm around nothing but football team fans. And I had this talk with them a bunch of times in that, you know, they were they played so well last year that and I, I said this many times and every time I talk to someone about like their defense, I feel so proud of it. And, and it was that they played so well last year that it was going to be extremely hard to continue that. And, you know, when they drafted Jamin Davis, he is a new day linebacker running a four three and they don't know what to do with him. Chase Young, you know, he was a rookie. And I think once teams and O-linemen were able to, you know, get some film on him and adjust, they're slowing him down a bit. Nonetheless, their defense, if you look at it, hasn't been really bad this year. Like, everyone likes to make it out to be. It's just they played so well last year that now that they're not continuing that, people are questioning them. And it's just like you cannot expect the defense to continue that. And that's when people were like, the Washington's going to win the division. It's like you can't expect that defense – 
with Ryan Fitzpatrick or Taylor Heineke to make noise. And as, as we're all seeing, that's what's happening. My apologies again for cutting you off. Yeah, that was my end of it. But, I mean, that – I mean, again, this is coming from the casual side of me. But, I mean, the points – you know, I didn't expect a lot of 30, 40 balls from – the opposing offense. I guess that's where you could say my uh, casual fan bias would come in. Mm-hmm. What is uh, my? I guess you could say my three, my takeaways for you know this ending of well week five. I I think the Chargers dominating as much as they have have been quite the surprise. I might say. I didn't, you know, as I said earlier in the episode, I don't see them going far in the playoffs. I still think next year is their year. I think that was quite surprising. Uh, Dallas putting it all together has been quite surprising. You know, they're either going to have to face Rams or Cardinals in the playoffs, and I think they'll they'll fall to them. But I think Dallas, you know, as they do every year, think it's their year, which is quite hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> the Chiefs struggling. I compare them to the Lakers a lot to where they went. Now that they've established themselves as a dynasty, they are going to wait to the playoffs to really kick it in. Now, right now, they're just figuring out what goes where, what, you know, trying to build chemistry right now. They're not too worried about what their record is or getting the first round by. Their goal is, you know, Let's get in the playoffs, and then we can do what we do. And my last surprise, and your your favorite one is Arizona going five and zero. You know, I expected Kyler to dominate, but not five and zero dominate. And it's been really fun to watch. They've been one of the more fun teams to watch in the NFL. I love high score games, and they offer that every week. Yeah, I I love your last take. I love it. I love that you <laughs> said that they'll Cowboys will probably lose to the Cardinals in the playoffs. I love that. I would I would agree with the Lakers Cowboys comparison for sure. You know they have annoying fans, and that's where all I could leave it. But you gave all three of your surprises, so you already heard mine. So I may as well run through my couple. I love the Texans' competitiveness through five games. I didn't expect them to be in as many games as they were, and you know Brandon Cooks. I've always known that he was a good receiver. I think he's been very underrated for quite some time. I think he's done pretty well with the team that is built around him. I think David Coley has done a good job of veering away the team from the situations with Deshaun Watson. I think that the players are improving. I think it was a good hire so far in terms of setting a culture for Houston. And I hope that they stay as competitive as they have been, you know, throughout the rest of the season. And my last takeaway is something that uh, I know a lot of people on our floor disagree with. But I think Burrow has played so fucking well. He may have just answered that top 13 quarterback conversation. He has some of the best pocket awareness that I have seen. He doesn't have the strongest arm. He has a damn good arm, though. You see the chemistry that is forming with him and Jamar Chase with 
T. Higgins. Shit, you saw it with C.J. Uzama. You saw them flourish with Joe Burrow throwing them the ball. I've seen him move out of the pocket much better than I thought that he would, especially after the injury that he had last year. He's And with, you know, not much of an improved offensive line, you thought he wouldn't do so well. I think he's done such an amazing job that he, for me, he has entered that conversation that I don't think a lot of people will agree with. I don't think you'll agree with, but I love Joe Burrow. I'm a Joe Burrow believer, and I really hope that he continues to prove me right on my take. Uh, you know, when it comes to Joe Burrow, I definitely think he he enters the conversation. I think he makes a case for it. Is he there? I'm not sure, but I think he has entered that that you know conversation, and I think that's genuinely what did they want from him. And they want, like you said, he doesn't offer a ginormous arm. You know, he's been, I remember someone said he was compared to Alex Smith. And I agree with that 1000%. I think that's the type of quarterback he is. But nonetheless, I think Joe Burrow has played pretty impressive this year and has done more than expected. And is like I said, I think Dak is still a lock, but I still think he gives Dak a run for his money when it comes to play of the year or comeback play of the year. Yeah, he should. And nobody will agree with that. I think it'll absolutely go to Dak. Burrow will be underrated for some time in my eyes. But with that, that's the end of this episode. Keith, I appreciate you coming on. I guess I'll see you in a couple minutes if everything goes right. (laughs) But Pleasure. Pleasure having me and I appreciate it. Yes, sir, man. Well, I think we'll record another episode another day. Oh, for sure. All right. That's the end of this episode. Later. Later. And with that, that'll be the end of today's episode. And I thank you guys so very much for watching. Go check out Keith's TikTok. He has a group TikTok with a bunch of other people on uh, that goes to the Walter Cronkite School uh, for Sports Journalism. It's called at ASU Takes on TikTok. Make sure to go follow my page on Instagram at the AZ Sports Podcast, and I'll see you guys in the next episode.